Every once in a while, the videos that we show for the transition clip have so much to do with what we're talking about. And it's, I would love to say that that's intentional, but it never is. It's all by accident. But uh, excited to be with you today and uh, continuing a series that we started last week called Stuff Your Significant Other Needs to Hear. This uh, series idea was inspired by multiple conversations with many of you uh, around the, the uh, like coffee shop or just meeting or whatever or in the lobby or whatever and saying, that was so good today. You know who needed to hear that? Not me, but my significant other, my kid, my high school kid, my, my wife, my husband, who's not currently here. And I'd be like, yeah, that's really great. Did you, how about you? Did you, oh man, but they, do you have that on CD? Or, you know, is it, and I'm like, you still own a CD player? And, uh, or do you have that, can I download that? Or, or uh, can, can, I, can I do whatever? In fact, if you could, I'm gonna bring them next week. If you could just preach the same exact sermon, but this time with more conviction and less caveats, that would be awesome. Um, but I can't, so uh, you're here today. So we're gonna continue on the next thing that I think your significant other needs to hear. Because last week we said uh, simply this, um, that in every good relationship, this is, this is whether, listen, whether you're, not, you're, whether you're married or not, or long-term relationship, or um, dating, single, in fact, I didn't even get, I didn't even get uh, her joke until like halfway through that video, when she goes, I'm one of the good girls that Brent was talking about. I'm like, when did I talk about good girls last week? And it was the whole idea of the whole dating thing of, um, listen, you're a guy who wants a good girl, and uh, I'm spelling the joke out for you. I shouldn't even have to do this, but if, in case you weren't here, I just want to explain it so that I'm not looking like a pervert on the screen, okay? That's what I'm doing. Um, uh, guys like you, the, the girls like her are not looking for guys like you. Anyways, that was the whole joke. The idea was that when you're in one of those long-term relationships, like this is, they're difficult. This is really hard. It's really hard to be a parent of, of a teenager. And so I'm, I'm even in a non-romantic level, but it's, just, it's really hard to be, to do life with somebody for that long um, because you're human and there's something about you and, and it's always a battle of wills. It's a battle of self. It's a battle of here's what I want. And as long as like what you want and I want are the same thing, then there's no real, there's no real tra- you know, friction or whatever. But every once in a while you, you come up against something and it's like, uh, it, it's, it, can be, it can be difficult. It can be a struggle. It can be, there, there are fights. There are fights in every relationship. And the, and the goal is not the avoidance of fights. You never, I never wanna hear that in premarital counseling. We've never fought. Um, well, it's happening. So let's talk about when it happens. What are you gonna do? Like friction in a relationship is always, uh, in, it's, a, it's an essential, it's a non-negotiable, it's, it's going to take place. And last week we said, listen, there are things worth fighting for. There are things worth fighting over that it's not enough to just take the, either the uh, hyper-aggressive approach and be like, we're gonna do it my way or not, no, at all, uh, no way at all, uh, or like, well, you know what, I'm just gonna con- continue to be submissive in this and just do whatever and it, just let him or her have, have reins over, over, over things or, or stay silent when inside, like part of me is deteriorated in this relationship. And, and because what happens is, is we kind of take this martyr approach and then eventually we snap and we break and we be like, this is, this is just a train wreck. Look, at, are you happy? Like in these last five, 10, 25 years, I'm not happy, um, and, and for them, it doesn't make any sense because you've never said anything about it because you've never brought it up. And so this idea of using precision in our language, that there are things worth talking specifically about. Listen, you need to hear this. Like, if you're unhappy, voice the unhappiness. Let's talk about this. I wanna deal with this because this relationship means too much to me to kind of just let it go uh, by the wayside. So there are things worth talking specifically about, not to just say I'm happy in general, but to be able to say I'm, I'm, I'm unhappy and here's why I think I feel that way and here's what I think I need from you to be able to do this. Uh, it's so important. So anyways, if you missed last week, there's a website you can go to eastlaketricities.com slash talks. I can't go into it with more conviction, less caveats. I already talked about, I already used that joke, so I can't, I can't do that. Uh, but today, I wanna move forward with this next thing that I think 
is really good stuff. In fact, if you and I were um, going out for a coffee over like some sort of a, you know, you wanted to stir the conversation, steer the conversation towards, um, hey, this is really good. How about the Portland Trailblazers for teeth? Hey, listen, my, uh, my relationship is in shambles. I need some help here. Um, I want to offer you some advice that I think would be, um, would be, would be helpful in that. And then also, um, I think a biblical way, a way of figuring out uh, a language, a phrase that we've been using a, a lot lately. What does it mean to wear love in this relationship? Like, what is, what is love calling me to do? What is it requiring of me in a situation where um, uh, things are not so great, and I, but I want to be a good person. I want to I incorporate my faith into this. I don't want to, like, disassociate and be like, well, that's what I do at church, and that's my religious side of things, and then this is kind of like, you know, how I stay married or how I, how I um, stay not single, right? Um, so anyways, that's... I want to talk about the answer to this question right here. It says, what should you do when you don't know what to do? What should you do when you're not sure what to do? Because in every relationship, there's going to come this time where you're not exactly sure what it is that you're going to do. And what you do is you begin to play scenarios out in your mind. If I say this, here's what I think is going to happen. If I do this, here's what I think is going to happen. And you may run through a couple of scenarios, or it may take up an entire weekend or months or whatever of your time, but we've all been there where we're like, something has transpired. The, exp- the, the reality of what currently is is not ma- matching up to the expectations of what she might have for this relationship or what she might have for me or he might have for me or whatever. So what am I going to do when I'm not exactly sure what I'm supposed to do. And I'm gonna give you the answer that even though you already know it because your girlfriend slash wife slash boyfriend slash whatever has told you the answer no less than six different times, you are, this is my advice to you. This is the whole stuff you significant other needs to hear, right? You should probably, in my opinion, from a, if I could be some sort of a spiritual counselor or whatever for you, you should tell the truth or at least not lie, okay? You should tell the truth or at least don't lie. In our household, here's what it looks like for us. Um, something will happen with the kids. We have four kids at home, and uh, they're all like these different age, like very different. So we have five years in between our 11-year-old, six-year-olds, uh, and then our, our one-year-old. And so like different stages of, of deceit, lying, here's what happened, tattletales, blah, 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 right? So you have to be strategic about which one, because he might be lying, but he might just be lying to get more time on Minecraft, all right? So there's like, but she might be lying. Anyways, there's different ways you have to approach things, and my wife has taken the standard approach of, of whenever, there, whenever something has come down, whenever they didn't know what to do, and so they built, you know, they went through a couple scenarios, and this is what they then decided to do because they thought that this would give them the result that they wanted. Um, she pulls them into the room, looks them in the eye with me standing right behind her because she's like, I gotta have some backup. I'm gonna be the bad cop for a second, but then you gotta come in and be the bad cop so then I can come back and be the good cop. Do you understand how this is? If you're just out doing your own thing, then I'm only the bad cop. That's not gonna work out for very long. So um, she looks them in the eye and she says phrases like this. In this house, not phrases like this. She literally says these words. In this house, we always tell the truth. In this house, while you're under this roof, we always tell the truth. You will always be in less trouble if you're honest with me the very first time. And here's me peeking over her shoulder going, nodding, because I need to, because, you know, let's what good dads do. And, but then in my mind, also, like, knowing that, like, that, if that's, that's not, like, the rule. Okay, that's the rule for the kids, right? That's just for the kids. That's how we're doing this. 
She expects that even from me. That's why she uses the phrase, in this house. Listen, she's so smart. This is a training moment for the kids and me behind her. It's a both and. In this home, no matter how old we are, we always tell the truth. Right, honey? And you will always be better off if you tell me the truth the first time as opposed to coming up with something and then being caught and then being like, all right, now I confess the truth to you. Now, so no, uh, like full cards in front of you, right? I want to talk about why I don't think you should lie in relationships, which isn't all that revolutionary. It's, you're like, I'm, this isn't even worth the cost of admission today. It's free. So yeah, it is. Um, I'm not like... I'm not opening any doors that you have not opened before. I'm not saying anything that you've never thought. Like, we kind of live with this idea that, tr- like, relationships are built on trust, and lies undermine trust, and without trust, there is no relationship. So, like, it's not revolutionary for me. Like, I don't think you should have any lying in your relationship. You're like, <laughs> I, no, I totally get that, Brent. I, I completely understand. And, and there's also, like, a yes, but... Uh, yes, but it's a little bit more nuanced than that, Brent. Like sometimes lying takes various forms. So for me to put this blanket statement out there about, you know, tell the truth or at least don't lie. Um, yes, but sometimes lying feels a little bit not necessary, but like not all the evil that you're painting it out to be, right? Like love takes, uh, or sorry, lying, love takes various forms too, but lying takes up various forms. Lying shows up at every level of relationship and can be as innocent as saying that you love how she looks in a romper to <laughs> yes. Of course we should vacation with your family. I cannot think of a better way to spend 33% of our allotted vacation days with your mother and her new, barely older than me boyfriend. That sounds amazing. Let's do it. Let's sign up for that. Uh, Lying can be perceived as a survival tool. Uh, We could say, yes, that sounds really great, like in theory, Brent, but the truth is little tiny white lies that don't really mean anything keep this relationship churning and keep this, like, keep... Um, keep this kind of thing running smoothly a little bit. Like if I was to say, all right, just a standard, no lies at all, um, I think there would be more conflict than being even caught in one of these little tiny white lies. We lie, but we, we come up with the conclusion that it's for uh, their benefit. But it can also be used as a shortcut for getting something that we want, a shortcut for an easy way out, potentially, of a far more difficult conversation. And really the lying that I'm talking about falls under the idea of... Um, those lies where um, the other option is confession, and yet confession brings with it um, potential circumstances that are not great to think about. Um, even though we know that the decision has been made, the action has already been taken, thus requiring the confession, um, we tend to think that the damage can be isolated to the confession piece, where if the confession doesn't come out, then the damage caused by the action may not actually realize itself, um, which is a falsehood. Um, and so that's the kind of line that I, I want to talk about. The kind of line where I should probably have said something and I chose not to um, because it's a shortcut to getting back to stability in the relationship. It's, a stabil- it's the shortcut getting back to where you're happy with me and I'm happy with you and, and life is complicated and... Um, but you got to make do with what you got to make do with. And, and nobody's perfect. And I'm not perfect. It's all these things that we've said. Even as I'm saying them, you're going, yeah, that sounds really good. I've, I've actually said that to myself. Like, I get it. It's, it's nuanced. It's, 
We have all kinds of reasons for doing all of the things that we do, but eventually we've all seen it or perhaps some of you experienced it where um, we've accepted uh, lies along the way and eventually something or someone snaps and they say, like, that's it, I'm done, I I can't do this anymore. Um, And one person in the relationship goes, how long have you been feeling this way? And the other person says, for long, for an extended period of time. Like, it's all just been, like, this entire relationship has been, like, founded on lies. And it started out so small, and it it seemed so innocent at first, and I was just doing it to keep the relationship together. And then that turned into something else, and that turned into something else. And I had to lie to keep the kind of game up. And and finally, it's just, it, it was, at first, it was just easier to lie. Um, and then I couldn't figure out a way out of it beyond line, and now I don't see any potential scenario, and I've got to be just kind of done with all of this. We can leverage lies to manipulate others into getting what we want. In fact, a lot of times, the line that is the most painful or the most damaging is the one where we create this narrative in our mind. We lie because we think we're trying to get something a certain way. That we, We've created this scenario in our way. We've run through this, like the spectrum of what would happen if I told her the truth, what would happen if I told him the truth. Um, I don't like the unknown of that. And so if I can lie in this way, I can craft this scenario in my mind. I can create this narrative for myself to get her to be a certain way or have a certain attitude towards something. Or I can, I, I'm, in the control, I'm in control of all of this. As long as I can keep all of this going. As long as I cannot get caught in this, this sort of thing, as long as I can spin it a certain way, if I can frame things into a certain way of being, I'll get away with it. Everything feels calculated, intentional, manipulative, not to them if you're doing it well, of course, but to you. And we can know that it's not good. We can sit in a Sunday service like today, or we can listen to this on a podcast or whatever and be like, I know, I know. Where there is no trust, there is no relationship. Um, a relationship that lacks trust lacks a foundation for any, and we can't, we can't keep this up. I know, that it's, I know that I shouldn't do this. We can even agree with our partner that it deserves no place in a relationship, but why? Have we actually really engaged at looking what it does to relationships? And that's what I want to spend the rest of our time doing today. We know it's bad. We, we know we've gone down that road perhaps. We've seen it ruin relationships before, but have you ever looked at why? Have you ever looked at why lying versus confessing is, and what the, the, the ramifications, what, not just if you get caught, by the way. I'm just talking about even when you don't get caught. What is this doing to my relationship. Sometimes living a life lie is attempting to manipulate reality with perception, thought, and action so that only some narrowly desired and predefined outcome is allowed to exist. And here's what that means, is I want it to be this way. So I'm taking a shortcut to getting it that way. And what she doesn't know doesn't hurt her. What he doesn't know doesn't hurt him. And it's to their benefit anyways. I know what needs to happen and I know what I need to say to see that it gets done. And so I'm gonna take a bit of a shortcut and in that moment, we buy into the also deceptive lie that the ends justify the means. Yes, I need to lie here, but it's for their benefit. And then here's the lie that we begin to tell ourselves. This is the only way it will work. Listen, it starts off so small and so dumb and so petty. 
And even if she called you on it, or even if he called you on it, you could be like, I mean, come on, that's just, that's just petty. That's just small. But what happens is it builds up to the point where we create this narrative and we sell them a narrative because we're in control. And then at one point, it becomes so deceiving even to ourselves, we find ourselves saying, this is the only way I can keep this thing together. This is the only way it will work. I call it the all-consuming nature of deceit. The all-consuming nature of deceit. If you've ever known anyone like this, you know that eventually they deceive even themselves and they begin to see everything through the lens of injustice and defensive posturing. And after that comes the arrogance and the sense of superiority that inevitably accompanies the production of successful lies. And this is where it starts to get real ugly, guys. So we, we deceive it. We, we do some small thing at first because, you know, it's just easier that way. It's a shortcut. Eventually, we're selling the narrative so hard to them um, that we, we're like, and it's working. Uh, and then we convince ourselves uh, that this is the only way it, it is going to work. And then we filter everything we think of through that lens. And then, and this is where it gets ugly, we become arrogant. It begins to speak to our esteem and our ego because we look at them and we think, what a fool. I've got everybody fooled, so everybody's stupid except me. I've been living a lie for years, and they've never caught on, and we live together. And I've got like this system for like deleting the search history. I've got this system for making sure it doesn't show up on this credit card statement or that thing. And I've got this little hidden money stash that she doesn't know about, he doesn't know about. And I've got this little thing that, that I do and it's, I've been successful at it for so long. This is again after a period of time that now I have this like superiority complex over this person that I stood in front of a minister several years ago and said, I do and I'll leave these things and I will always love you and blah, 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 blah. And now I'm just better than you because <laughs> I know things that you don't know. Everybody's stupid and they've been fooled and it's been by me. Now, you can say, well, that's kind of extreme. And that gets, I'm just telling you, I don't know where you're at on the spectrum, but that's where it ends up, and that's where it gets to. And then she or you say, I'm done, this is it, I gotta, be, I gotta walk away from this thing. And you think to yourself, how did it get here? How did it get here? How did it get here? I just laid it out for you. This is, this is what happens. This is the danger. This is why my wife looks at the kids and says, listen, in this household, we tell the truth. In this household, it is better to come forward with the information when the damage has already been done than to get caught in it later because of what it does to you in regards to me. It's for your benefit to come out with this because of the self-deceptive nature of what lying does to you, which in the end creates a superiority complex, an ego boost, and it feeds that self and that pride and all of those things. What if instead we decided to tell the truth or at least stop lying? This week I had an opportunity uh, to spend a couple of days with um, some friends um, who are also pastors. 
Uh, pastors of real progressive, cool, fun, awesome churches, a lot of, most of them, uh, bigger than me, doing it longer than me, um, smarter than me, and all that kind of stuff. So um, every year we get to, together, uh, we fly in somewhere and um, spend, a, spend hour, we literally in-house, we just like wake up, make coffee, and then talk about you. And all of them talk about their people that are used, they're, they're used. Uh, and I, I never walk away more thankful for what, my, Kyle and I say it every year. I never walk away more thankful for the uniqueness and the incredible opportunity that we have to pastor a church like this with people like you. So um, trust me, like when it comes to the complaining, I'm, I'm more the guy just eating popcorn going, oh, okay, right. you know what I mean? This is great. You guys, you hate your, okay, all right, that sounds great. I'm like, we have, and, and every once in a while they'll look and be like, do you have, do you have any problems at your church? Is there anything you don't love about your church? And, and I'm always like, I'm trying to think of something. I'm always like, well, we got some like, there's like some of the flooring's kind of peeling up and I got to like figure out if it's a duct tape or is it glue? Like, I don't know what we're going to do. But uh, so yeah, that keeps me up at night. You know what I mean? And that's, I love that. So anyways, all right. That was sidetracked. That has nothing to do with lying. Um, so one of the guys is currently on the hunt to find a youth pastor. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but like hiring for a church um, can be difficult. There's not a lot of people um, uh, in that profession, right? Not, not a lot of your 16-year-olds are going, I want to be a pastor someday. You know what I mean? Um, and you as a good parent are like, they sound poor. You should do something else because you need to take care of me when I'm older. Anyways, uh, so it's, it's a little bit difficult to find them. Plus there's the whole lifestyle thing, right? Like it, it's, um, I don't know, it, it's a, it's a full-time calling. It's a full-time gig. If you, if you saw me, uh, doing certain things, uh, on Friday night and then being like, all right, let's talk about Jesus. You'd be like, ah, I think you've lost some credibility there, buddy. Um, so inevitably you can't just put something out on Craigslist. It doesn't work that way. Okay. Hiring for churches has always been really difficult, and, and we've gone through some of that process too. Um, and so people have really two major options. One is to hire from within, find somebody, identify somebody who's already doing it at a volunteer level and say, hey, um, would you consider not just doing like volunteer hours, but going full-time hours? And we've done some of that. Um, or then there's also um, websites that are specifically designed for um, like pastors in different areas who are like, I want to leave Missouri because... It's horrible, and I want to move to the beautiful state of Washington, Eastern Washington. So, anyways, uh, you can go on these websites and kind of find some things. So, one of my guys is my buddy uh, is is doing the research, and he had kind of come down to like two or three different guys, and so he felt like this would be a good time to introduce his three potential candidates to the group to get our opinion on what's going on. And so he presents three guys, and one of them stood out as like super awesome and and great. And uh, so we began to ask questions about him. I'm not going to say his name because it doesn't matter. And I don't remember it. So it doesn't matter. Um, And uh, so then the question becomes, is he still at a church currently or is he not working? And this guy was not currently working at a church. And so we're like, okay, that's always an interesting, like, what happened? Did you, I mean, there's all kinds of reasons, right? You, you didn't like the mission. You, the pastor was whatever. And you, you, people leave for all kinds of, so it could be anything, right? So he, he calls this guy up and says, so you're not currently working at a church. And he said, no, I'm not. Uh, and he goes, can you tell me the story? Were you let go? Were you fired? Was it a, a choice by you, a choice by them? You know, all that kind of stuff. And, and it's just, it's the interview process. So you're always, you know, trying to be careful about that. And he goes, well, I made a really dumb decision um, with uh, using church finances and so, therefore, I was asked to step down, which is always like, oh, okay. But to his credit, was upfront about this, uh, was then uh, asked. So then, so that, that, that took place. So then my buddy hangs up the phone and tells us why he was currently fired. And so that, like, 
Ooh, this is a this is a rumor mill. Let's get this thing. Let's let's pop some more popcorn and talk about this. This is exciting. Uh, so then we play the game of let's all guess what happened, right? <laughs> um, and so we're doing this, and then so but he really liked this guy. He wanted he wanted to hire him. Like he was his top guy. This was kind of and he's you know when you got your mind set on something and then red flags start showing up and you just convince yourself it's okay. I'm sure. I'm sure she, you know, has a huge reason for um, being married six times. There's got to be a reason that this took place, right? Um, and it's a valid reason, I'm sure. She's awesome. Let's do this. So, so we tell him, you should call up his previous senior pastor and ask him, see what kind of story he tells. And so he does this. Uh, he calls him up and uh, says, hey, we want to be honest. So-and-so was forthright about... Um, about the fact that he got fired, but didn't go into too many details, nor did I press him on the details. I wanted to ask you first. And the pastor said, "Uh, I'm not really at liberty to be able to say, uh, I would not hire him back. Um, But if you want to ask him, I think he'll tell you if you just ask him. And uh, and if he won't tell you, then you probably shouldn't hire him. Um, And so Jeremiah was like, oh, I just said his name. doesn't matter. Uh, Jeremiah was like, okay, uh, sounds good. So he hangs up. And then he calls the guy back and he goes, all right, I gotta be honest with you. You were up front, you told me, but like covertly, and then I called your pastor up and he won't speak badly about you, which kudos to him. Um, so tell me, are you, are you willing to kind of tell me? Because I got about six other guys right now. When we have all kinds of guesses. We got a whiteboard going on with some odds and uh, we just wanna know who wins, all right? And so the guy said, absolutely, I'll tell you. Um, well, not, I don't know if he said absolutely. I wasn't on the phone with him. But yes, I'll tell you. And he said, he's from Austin. And he said, I had a buddy come into town. And we went out for some beers. And uh, then uh, it got late. And that bar closed. And so we went somewhere else. And we went to a place that um, <laughs> I didn't know was a strip bar, okay? Um, and then... We were there, and what happened there was I tried to pay for my drinks, and my credit card didn't work, and so I gave them another credit card, which happened to be my church card, and so then the credit cards, and I thought, I'll just pay it back afterwards, and, and he probably tried to do that, but then the name of the strip joint comes through, and everybody's like, oh, I know where that's at. Uh, what are you doing? At a stri- <laughs> right? Needless to say, none of us guessed that option on our little whiteboard. <laughs> so we all lost. Um, and so Jeremiah gets this, all this info, hangs up. And so we're, we're like, so what? Like, come on, tell us. And, and he's like, well, it's not none of the options we said. So let me tell you what it is and begin to say it. And, and there was like two different reactions to it. One was like, you can't hire him. What kind of a moron uses a business card? Not just a church card, a business card. Anyways, right? You can't. So that's like a bonehead, whatever, right? And then, and then go in there and, do, and all that kind of stuff, right? Uh, but then like, there's this, so there was like one side of the room was like, obviously, well, that was a fun experiment, but now case closed, not on the table anymore. And then there was a couple of them that are like, bad decision, poor decision, clearly, um, but kudos to him for being able to tell you about that. Perhaps this is a growth moment and don't we have redemption for everybody, right? And I'm, I'm sitting there on the side of, I just don't want to hire an idiot. And that's more the case, right? Not, 
even the fact that he did that, but what in the world were you thinking, dude? Like, I'm out. So uh, for those reasons, I'm out. Sorry, sharks. Um, uh, then, but then I've got Jeremiah over there saying, you know, like we've all done stupid decisions when we were 18, 19, 20, 21, whatever, however old he was, um, trying to have this like grace side of things. And in, and in my mind, I'm over there going, oh my gosh, you're still thinking about hiring him? This is crazy town. What are you going to do when a high school kid's parent asks, anyways, I all kind of like, what happened? So you're not at your last church. What happened? Uh, yeah, so I was uh, at the Yellow Rose, and uh, perhaps you're familiar with the place. Uh, <clears throat> anyways, it brought up something that I think about often. Um, there, have been, there are two people currently in my life right now that have an unbelievable amount of grace when it comes to, like, confession thing. One of them is my wife, as I mentioned previously, and one of them is John Inman, who's a chairman on our board. And um, in both instances, we, uh, listen, we're in the church world, we get a lot of prayer requests, we get a lot of things, we get a lot of people coming to us with, with problems, and I swear I don't talk about them publicly, I'm like, <laughs> what do you hear this one? All right, John, come over here, read this card. Uh, but like, he works, he's in management, he's over people, um, and so he, he sees a lot of stories, we hear things in the, in the community, and we, and we constantly are talking about these things. And I am, I, am of, uh, I am less likely to see the redemptive side of things and be like, that guy's an idiot, don't hire him. And John is so much more like of the gracious man, if he would have just come out, think of all the things he could have avoided had they come out. And Kylie's the same way. They're both like, they're both so gracious in that way of look at this who made a really poor decision, but didn't try to craft a narrative that works for them and play this game and let it be drawn out and then get caught at the end. Had they only come forward, had they only not embraced lying, we could get past this. We could get past this. My wife and I hear stories about infidelity in marriage and, and people who do this, and then and it goes, you know, it, it, it extends for periods of time, and then they get caught, and then there's, you know, phone calls and emails and pictures and blah, 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 blah. And she always says, listen, first of all, don't cheat on me, I'll kill you. But if, <laughs> if it ever happened, I would want you to tell me, and, and in her mind, she's like, it would be really hard, but I think we could work it out. I think we would, and, I, and I'm sitting there like, from this side of things going on the reverse side of things, I don't think I could get there. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's so, to be reserved, but to see somebody who is so gracious in that challenges me. It makes me think they're better Christians than me because that's what Jesus would do for those people, right? He would have a redemptive. He would, not la- he would not look at anybody and say, you've gone too far. There is no path of redemption for you. Now, the path is not, sorry that you did that whole thing at the strip club. Can you start on Monday? The path is longer than that. I get that. But that idea of somebody who chose not to go down the path of lying, though it would have been easy to do so, and it would have been a narrative that might have worked for a while, but they understood the depth of the pain of deceit and refused to go down that road and instead chose the path of confession. And therefore, we choose grace and we, lose, we lean heavy into grace and we talk about restoration and we talk about redemption. That, guys, is super challenging for me. 
And yet, when I read, we're gonna look at 1 Peter real quick. Chapter three, Peter writes a letter to a church engaged in suffering, experiencing suffering. We've been in 1 Peter quite a bit lately. And in this passage, this idea of lies and, and deceit and, and falsehoods shows up in a big way. Here's what he says. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. In other words, don't do what the world oftentimes does. You hurt me, I hurt you back. You punch me, I punch you back, but this time a little bit harder, and we play this back and forth game. That is the concept of justice from a secular standpoint. Typically, if you get hurt, you have a right to then go back and hurt them or, or make sure that there's punishment for them that is, from the government standpoint, adequate in according to the, the pain that they cause you. But on, a, on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days... Whoever desires, if you want to learn what it means to love life, if you want to experience a version of life that is fulfilling, that is uplifting, that is worthy of of your time and attention, and if you want to see good days, this, by the way, is a common phrase that shows up even in the Old Testament when it comes to children obey your parents, for there will be long days as a result of this. Like your lifespan will be, so it's like quantity of life and quality of life are affected in this statement. So Peter pulls from this OT kind of metaphorical language and incorporates it right here and says, whoever desires to love life and see good days, which by the way, who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want a long and fulfilling life? Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him avoid lying at all costs and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil to do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For, for, as a result, as a consequence of this, if you do this, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. His eyes are on those who live this way and his ears attentive to their prayers. Listen, we want that. You may not even be religious and you're like, if there is a God that exists out there, I would like him to have his eye on me. And in those moments when I cry out and be like, I don't even know if you're out there, but like, if you're there, please help. This is something I'm, this is, I don't know how I'm gonna see myself through this. We want this. And according to Peter, one of the things that can keep us from experiencing that is this idea of lying. Whoever desires to love life, see good days. Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. I wanna close with this real quick. Um, there is a Danish philosopher named Soren Kierkegaard, and I'm, I might be pronouncing that last name wrong. I'm sorry. F- fantastic uh, books, smarter. I, I can't hardly read. You gotta like take a nap in between them. Um, but in this, he talks about the act of faith the act of faith, the act of life. Um, and, and it begins to say, uh, the, and it ties in so well with this. Listen, the reason that we don't, we don't ask for forgiveness or the, the reason that we don't confess is we're so, we're so afraid of, of what could potentially happen. W- when we lie, we can control the narrative. If we come out and we confess, we don't get to control it. They get a say in it. Um, we kind of do this together. And when we lie, we rob that other person of the opportunity to be invested in what kind of happens in this relationship and we take it all upon ourselves. So we don't like submitting ourselves to others. We don't like to wear love in the way that says, let your opinion also be factored into this um, relationship and how this thing works out. So he talks about how, listen, this works on a spiritual level as well. 
If, if marriage and all and any sort of long-term relationship is supposed to be a picture of what good relationship with your heavenly father looks like, then it shows up in a big way here. This is the exact same thing. You have the option to live life for yourself or to give yourself over to God, either or. You get to do one or the other. You get to pick one of these two things and you have to submit everything with this. You cannot know ahead of time what God's gonna do if you give him full submission. If you begin to live your life and say, all right, God, your will, not mine, your will, not mine, I don't know what that looks like. In the same way that you don't know what it looks like if today you went home and confessed that thing that's been kind of over your head and you've kind of dug yourself in this deep hole, you don't want it to the point of complete self-deception. So now I'm gonna come forward and I don't know how you're gonna respond with this, but I've got something I've got to tell you. And here it is. I don't know. You never know. And that's the, that's the risk of life. That's the risk of love. That's the risk of doing this thing. And he begins to say, you have to risk your particular individual life to find out. When it comes to faith and when it comes to forgiveness and asking forgiveness and confession, I don't know how this is gonna turn out. And I've played scenarios out in my mind and I have to step forward and take a risk and take a step of faith and say, this is me. I don't know how you're gonna respond, but I cannot live in a lie any longer. I submit to whatever you want this to look like. Not only is it a better way to do life when it comes to confession and lying, it's a matter of faith as well. Kierkegaard says that's what, that's what real true faith looks like. We can play, listen, when you play video games, when you die in a video game, that's okay. You get an extra life. You just start this thing over. I try again, I try again, I try again. We live life sometimes like that. Like I'm, I'm gonna play it safe. I'm not gonna really put anything out there. I'm, I'm, I wanna be in control of this thing. But every once in a while, there come scenarios in life where it's all or nothing. It's like this. I'm gonna ask her to marry me. I'm gonna pick this one person out of the entire world. And we're gonna do, the, I only have one life to live. Do you wanna live it with me? That's marriage, man. That's a huge risk. And then for a moment, for a split second, or in my case, for 45 seconds, she sits there and says, I'm gonna let you sweat this thing out a little bit. I don't know if I'm going to say yes. Just kidding. She said yes right away. She said, of course. Anyways, because <laughs> I'm so handsome. Um, in that moment, though, we risk so much. And the beauty of, of, of marriage is that it's this one chance to do this thing, the beauty of life, the beauty of faith. Listen, he ties this so big, and it shows up in this exact way. I don't know how she or he is going to respond when you come forward with confession. You can meet with me and be like, all right, I listened to your message on Sunday. It was really good, really convicting. I've got some things I need to get off my chest with my significant other. Um, but here's the deal. I don't know what she's going to say. And you know what's going to happen when we get together and I hear it? And I'm going to be like, I don't know what she has to say either. You get to go figure out that and experience that. Yeah, but could you just tell me what you think she's gonna say? Could I have it planned so that if she goes this direction, I've got other options? I don't know, man. I don't know. That is the big risk. That is the big act of faith. But that's what life is like. Don't be surprised that it shows up in the area of forgiveness and, and, and sin and lying and deceit and all that kind of stuff. You get to take a risk, but, but just so you know, just so you know, the truth is always better than the pathway of lying. So when it comes to your relationship, if I had a chance to tell you stuff that I think you need to hear, you should live your life telling with the conviction, the commitment that I am going to tell the truth, at least, or at least I'm not going to lie. 
because I know where that leads. I value this relationship way too much. And even when I err, and even when I mistake, or if you're Christian, even when I sin against you, I'm gonna have the guts and the conviction necessary to bring it to you because I value this relationship enough. Because A, it's worth fighting for, but then B, I, I don't know how you're gonna respond, but this is us doing this thing together. And I'm asking for grace. And I'm asking for grace. By the way, your whole spiritual life looks just like that. When it comes to our relationship with God, that's this, it's the same dang thing. God, I'm broken. I've done some really stupid stuff with my life. I submit to your will. I don't know what you wanna do, but here it is. Here's my one particular individual life. Here we go. Thy will be done in my life, not yours. It's the call to faith. It's a risk, but I'm telling you, telling the truth is worth it. Telling the truth is worth it. Tell the truth, or at least in a lie. Let's pray. Father, uh, that can be really convicting for uh, some of us going through an individual specific thing right now that we, is like, as I'm talking, it's just like, it's weighing on us and we know we need to have a tough phone call this afternoon or this evening or week or whatever. Uh, for those of us, it's just a good like conviction for how we wanna do life and the relationship that we wanna have. This is gonna be characteristic of our relationship. In this household and in this marriage, we tell the truth. We tell the truth. We, at least we don't lie. Um, and, and we do it. And, and when we do it, we're also making a commitment when, when we're on the side of being wronged to share some sort of a value, to, to reinforce that when you come forward with it, I promise to be gracious. I promise to be somebody who takes into account the fact that you owned up to this, that you didn't choose the path of hiding this. So what, whichever side of this equation that we're on, there's a calling, there's an engagement, there's a difficulty in this. May we be the type of people who get this, who understand this, who have the ability to connect the dots between how this plays out in our interpersonal relationships and what this looks like in a relationship with God as well. Give us the wisdom to know what to do with this, the courage to act on it. In your name, amen.